And then he has like a portfolio, you know, like a thing that you put your legal pad in that you get at Staples for $19. Mm-hmm. Nothing fancy. He throws it in the middle of the table and he says, there it is. Introducing this new handheld computer. It's not a handheld computer. It's a $19 portfolio from, from Staples. Mm-hmm. He doesn't tell them that. He's just desperate. He thinks, oh, you know, a little theatrics in the absence of any real substance here. And the VCs sitting around the table, they are consumed by the portfolio. One reaches out and kind of touches it like he's a little afraid of it. And they start debating how cheaply you could make the thing he said was in the middle of the table, but it's not there at all. It's just a $19 portfolio. Mm. But I think in this conversation about MMT, if you want to, to get people to imagine what it means for them, I think you, you, the community of people who see MMT as the solution to those problems need to figure out how to throw the portfolio in the middle of the table. Welcome to Activist MMT, a podcast about real-world economics, including modern money theory, and how life changes when you discover it. I'm your host, Jeff Epstein. Today's part two of my two-part conversation with Greg Stebbin. In part one, I gave Greg a broad introduction to MMT, its basic policy implications, and some of the major myths it shatters. Today in part two, we branch out to a wide-ranging conversation about the state of the world and how MMT does and does not relate to it. But for now, let's get right back to my conversation with Greg Stebbin. Enjoy. This guy in like the 90s goes to the office of some venture capitalists and he thinks he's just going there to meet them. And when he gets, he's got like, you know, a, a sport coat on and he's got like his little, he's very casual. And he doesn't realize until he gets there because he sees somebody else in the conference room making a pitch. And we all know venture capitalists are the people that write you, you know, the million dollar or the hundred million dollar check. So they're very much part of the system we're talking about here, right? Mm -hmm. So he gets there and he realizes this is not a get to know you conversation. They think he's coming to pitch his business. And his business is actually... he. 
his product is actually what we know as a, if you're old enough, a Palm Pilot. Oh my gosh, I had one it, of those. Yeah, it, it was, and if you're of a certain age, you don't know what a Palm Pilot is, but it was a very early version of the iPhone. All right? But no one had ever seen an iPhone or a Palm Pilot or anything like an iPhone or a Palm Pilot. So he thinks he's there just to get to know them. He realizes they're expecting like a pitch for his business. He has no prototype. He has no business model. He's just got an idea in his head for this handheld computer that you could type on and make phone calls and send email. And email's new. People are just learning about email. All right? So he goes into this meeting and he he knows, I mean, this is a total scarcity thing, right? He he knows he's screwed because these are venture capitalists. And if he doesn't do a good job, he's they're not going to write him a check for $100 million. And he needs $100 million or whatever the figure is to start his company. So here's the part that I think is relevant. He starts talking and for a minute or two, he kind of talks about a new type of computer that's handheld and can do these things. But it's all conceptual. No one's ever seen anything like this before. And then he has like a portfolio, you know, like a thing that you put your legal pad in that you get at Staples for $19. Mm -hmm. Nothing fancy. He throws it in the middle of the table and he says, there it is. Introducing this new handheld computer. It's not a handheld computer. It's a $19 portfolio from, from Staples. Mm -hmm. He doesn't tell them that he's just desperate. He thinks all, you know, a little theatrics in the absence of any real substance here. And the VC sitting around the table. They are consumed by the portfolio. One reaches out and kind of touches it like he's a little afraid of it. And they start debating how cheaply you could make the thing he said was in the middle of the table, but it's not there at all. It's just a $19 portfolio. Mm. But I think in this conversation about MMT, if you want to to get people to imagine what it means for them. I think you, you, the community of people who see MMT as the solution to those problems need to figure out how to throw the portfolio in the middle of the table Hmm. and get everyone to hunger for what's in there. Because I want everyone to have enough food. I want everyone to have health care. I want everyone to have a job. I want everyone to have security and abundance and happiness. And I don't care what the economic system is. But when you start the conversation by talking about the economic system, first of all, it scares people and probably confuses people and completely clouds the issue, which is, how do we create a world that's better for everyone? Okay. That's a very interesting story. I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm not exactly sure. Well, I mean, it's an interesting story and it needs to be, you know, it's in a way, I think you have to hit it at both ends because immediately when you say, you know, like, you know, Bernie Sanders, Medicare for all or free college or whatever, you know, immediately it's, pie in the sky, inflation, how are you going to pay for it? So 
Well, you know, I think people are I'm, conditioned I'm gonna to. I'm going to I'm going to Google this book and tell you the name of it because the sure. whole point of the book is how do I communicate this thing? That's the whole point of the book. I'm there's books. Chip Heath. What am I? Oh, Made to Stick is the name of the book. Okay. And uh, so, uh, in when Bernie Sanders ran for president against Hillary Clinton, whatever year that was, I'm a little blurry now on my years. <laughs> I mean, I, I heard of Bernie Sanders. I knew what I thought he stood for, but I was curious about him. I mean, I would was never going to vote for this socialist. I'm saying that tongue in cheek, but you know that's that's what stuck, right? The name of the book is made to stick. What stuck about Bernie Sanders was he's a socialist. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to vote for a socialist, but I'm curious enough to go hear him speak. So he came to my town, and I went, and I stood in line, and I listened to what people were saying about him, and I looked at who was around me, and it was an interesting collection of people. And while I was standing there on my phone, not a Palm Pilot, but on my phone, I read about Bernie Sanders. You know, I, I went on his website and read what he had to say about himself and what his campaign had to say about him. And I was shocked by the clarity and simplicity and possibility of what he was proposing. Because, well, I had had a conversation with friends a few nights earlier about student debt. And, you know, they they said, well, I, we don't, you'll love this because it's total neoclassical. You know, we don't think you should give students free college because they won't value it. Right? Scarcity. It should be expensive and scarce. <sighs> but I went on Bernie Sanders' website and what, what did it say on the website? It said, we should give students college because it's the best thing we can do for our economy. Yeah. Why are we making them go into debt so they can work to help build a better national economy? Well, that hit me like a two by four across the head. And that's what you're saying. We should provide people with how adequate housing and adequate food and adequate health care because when everybody's healthy and happy, everybody is better off because of it. Not and because of some economic philosophical system. They produce for each other. They, right. And I don't just mean monetary terms. I just, you know. You know, when a mom or a dad is not worried about their kid because they can't afford to get the kid health care or the roof leaks or, you know, I mean, all of these things are proven. When people aren't worried about the basics, you know, this is Maslow, then, then the world around them changes in a way that enables them to be better in the world. And when everyone's at their best, the world's a better place. And I think it boils down to some, if the world was a better place, then... I'll just use the poor, but, you know, basically like 99%, you know, everyone who's not rich, basically, but I'm just going to say rich and poor. If the, if P, the poor got what they desperately needed, education, healthcare, cancel student debt and 
unpoisoned water and whatever, that means that they would be more powerful. And that means that they would not be as easily exploitable. And unfortunately, those who are in power, who are not that many people, but they're enough, don't want that because that means that they would suddenly become less powerful. They would not be able to exploit them, which means that they would in, they would lose their power. And money is power. They would lose their power. And therefore, they don't want that to happen. They are, you know, the, the biggest religion that we have right now by far is greed. Well, could I suggest that it's probably, again, again my disclaimer, I'm sure there's some people for whom that applies, that they don't want it to change because they lose their power. I think for a far greater number of people who have any power, they didn't know there was a choice. Okay, but we have reached the point where if we do not start providing for the poor, we're going to go extinct in the not too distant future. So as far as intent, as far as they're doing it, they're trying their best, but they're but they're they've been deceived and they're you know they're doing as best as they can within their straitjacket is not good enough anymore. There are enough of people on top who are doing this whether it's whether it's conscious and intentional or not. If we do not start providing for the poor what they desperately need, we're going to go extinct. And I say this hearing a uh, PhD uh, uh, ecological economist said, said this on New Year's Day and someone that I just interviewed uh, a couple weeks ago, an interview that I haven't released yet, said that by 2050, whatever, the second one said by 2050, are we going to be here at all? And the ecological economist said, this is literally whether or not the human species is going to continue existing. And I see this as an analogy of our, uh, actually Marianne Williamson just said this on Twitter, which is a very easy, a very elegant way of saying it. The human race is one person. Pretend it's one person. All of the blood is going to one arm. That's not good. That blood needs to be distributed around the body. And that has nothing to do with scarcity. I mean, that you know, obviously that that analogy fails because it has to be. That's inherently scarce and, and uh, physical. But the analogy is pretty solid. All of the blood is going to that one arm. None of it or hardly any of it, certainly not a sufficient amount, is going to anywhere else in that body. If they do not give the rest of the body what it needs, that arm is also going to die. That is the stage that we are at now. And it's as if having an infection on our foot. And the you know, we you know, we like pretend that the foot is not part of us. Oh, it would be nice to give people health care, but it's not critical. It would be nice to give people education, but it's not critical. You know, that's that's that would be a nice virtuous thing to do, but it's not critical. No, it's critical because that infection has reached our knee. There's a red line that is going from our foot to our knee. And pretty soon, it's going to reach a point where it's going to be unstoppable. How, how does providing people with housing and health care and food prevent climate change? It, well, I mean, it doesn't prevent. I mean, climate change is here. But – we are in a society where the poor have no power and the rich have all the power, all of it. Jeff Bezos has all of the power. Amazon employees have none of the power. And 
that means that they cannot stand up to the smallest microaggression without risking their lives, without risking starvation, without risking being fired, which means potentially losing health care, which means potentially losing you know, income that the family desperately needs, the health care that the family desperately needs, that the commu- and therefore that harms the person, harms the family, harms the community. No one can stand up to any microaggression ever. And that has added up over billions of people to to the place that we are at today with climate change, where we can't stand up to the small stuff, so we can't stand up to the big stuff. I mean that I you know I, I I'm sure that someone much more educated can say this more elegantly, but I'm confident that this is correct. The ability, the the inability to stand up to even the smallest microaggression is what adds up to the catastrophe, the multiple catastrophes that we have now. And giving people healthcare and education and unpoisoned water, any one of these things, would not just make them healthier or smarter or not poisoned, it would make them more powerful. And that power would percolate up and they would be able to stand up to small things and then gradually bigger things and bigger things. And that's how, no, we're not gonna stop the climate crisis at this point, but at least we can start talking about maybe we should maybe we should start thinking about shutting the fossil fuel industry down or whatever whatever it is whatever whatever the steps that we need to take we can start having conversations about that but we can't even have conversations right now because if anyone says anything they're risking way more than they should be risking so giving people these things empowers them. This is not about making people smarter. This is not about making people healthier. This is about giving people power. And that's the only way to stabilize the economy in a global sense is giving people power. And MMT shows that providing what is desperately needed, withholding that is a choice. It's not a necessity and, and is not unfortunate but necessary. It's a choice. While I don't disagree with what you've said, I don't see the connection between MMT and climate change. MMT? I, it just shows that what de- is desperately needed is possible. That's all that MMT shows is that the idea of withholding because of how you're going to pay for it and the boogeyman of fake inflation, not real inflation, but fake inflation and the debt ceiling and ballooning the national debt and ballooning the deficit. And that's the reason that we can't give you health care and education and unpoisoned water and a Green New Deal. That's the reason that we can't give you these things. MMT shows that that is false. That's what that's all that MMT does is it just reveals the deception. It reveals, you know, maybe they're not intentional. Maybe they're genuinely believe it. It reveals that that is wrong. That's all it does, and that strips away the excuse, and therefore it puts the politicians and those in power in the position of having to say. Oh, okay. Well, it won't cause inflation. It won't violating debt ceiling is a non-issue. You know, the national debt is not a big deal. You know, it's nothing what we think it is. The deficit is nothing what we think it is. Therefore, we can give you health care. So either they're going to do it 
or they're going to say, oh, you know what? We're not going to give it to you anyway because it would make me less powerful. And now we'll get into the real conversation and the real battle. Does that, does that answer your question? The MMT only, the MMT doesn't have to do with saving the world. It just has, it's just, it just takes the veil off of, you know, it, it just points to the, what do you call it? The emperor. It just shows that the emperor has no clothes. All of these things of how you're going to pay for it as exclusive reasons for depriving people. It just reveals that that's false. That's all it does. That's the only role that MMT plays. It doesn't, I mean, the, you know, the point is not to reveal deception. That's not the point. That's my conclusion personally. MMT simply shows that it's possible to give people what they desperately need. It's, it's possible. We have the capacity to do it. Does that, does that help at all? Mm. Somewhere in there is a disconnect for me, but that's okay. I don't want to belabor the point. I mean, look, it's, it's an interesting notion. And I want to go back to my own notes that I took from your article. Okay. I guess I'm wondering, and maybe I've asked this already, what do you want to see happen? Not theoretically or hypothetically, but like if you were king of the world tomorrow, if you were President Epstein tomorrow, what would you do? The first thing I would do is mint a quadrillion dollar coin. Okay. That's the first thing I would do. And the president there's has the power. Been, there's been some discussion. of <laughs> The president has the power to do that. I wrote an article. On, and I wrote yeah, an article. There, there was actually some discussion of some minting some coin. Minting was, a quadrillion dollar coin. Is it quadrillion? No, no, so, no. I mean, they say they say a hundred. They say a, whatever, a trillion dollar coin. Yeah. But, but I, I have a, I, I understand this subject. <laughs> I understand it well, uh, reasonably well. Mint, screw minting a trillion dollar coin. Let's mint a quadrillion dollar coin. And that would forever take away the debt scaremongering. That would forever take it away. It, uh, so that's that what I would do. I would cancel student debt immediately, which is again, the, all, the, for the debt ceiling, uh, the minting the coin is just choosing the treasury secretary that commits to doing it. The canceling student debt is just choosing an education secretary that commits to doing it. And the president has the power to do that. Um, I mean, you know, <laughs> the president has amazing power. And I, you know, I don't exactly know what that is, but those two things are certainly two huge things. And no, will the Congress go along with it? No, of course they won't. But that, who cares? It doesn't, it doesn't really matter. If, if the president can do the things he is capable of doing, such as those two things and making people's lives better in so many ways, even if it doesn't have to do with Congress passing, even if Congress obstructs, that is what will give people the uh, incentive is the wrong word, but the, I'll just say incentive to, wow, the life is really getting better. Let's start listening to this guy and let's vote his people in. And then two years later, his people get in and then huge changes start to happen. I mean, that's, that's kind of my political, whatever you call it, analysis. It's, I don't really think about it too much. But but I mean, my biggest struggle right now is what do I tell my kids? What do I tell my kids? I mean, you know, 20 years from now, they may be dealing with 
nothing but violence and, and, and instability. What do I tell them? And it's going to be, it's the, the we're, big changes are coming. And the only question is, is whether, is it going to be controlled or is it going to be uncontrolled? And when is it going to happen? And obviously the path that we're on, it's going to be very uncontrolled. You know, so it's like, we're not, we're not even beginning the conversation of acknowledging that we have a problem. No one in power is acknowledging we have a problem because as soon as they stop pumping fossil fuels, they lose their power or a lot of it. So basically to the rich, and again, you know, just vaguely using the terms rich and poor, to the rich, death is becoming part of the poor, part of the many. If to the few, dying is becoming part of the few, is becoming someone that could be exploited, someone that could is considered invisible to the few. That's death to them. And as soon as they stop pumping fossil fuels, they die in that sense. And unless we stop pumping fossil fuels, we die. So there's no gray area here. There's no gray area at all. Either, you know, one side is going to, quote, die. So, you know, we, we got a big problem here. And, and the, the biggest religion of, our, of the planet right now is greed. And people don't think they're greedy. They think this is just what life is. You know, all problems can be solved with more stuff. So basically, we got to get off of that. Because we can't do that anymore. You know, I, I don't know what that means exactly, but clearly something big has to change. And yet we have all of these people who think that greed is good. So basically we have to give an intervention to a few billion people who are addicted, but don't think they're addicted. That's a powder keg. That's, that's you know, we're, we, got, we got big problems. And it's, you know, it's so it's like, well, how does MMT fit into this? It's... It just shows people that better is possible. We assume that everything horrible is unfortunate but necessary, and we believe that government is bad. And but the but those and so we run to the rich, and they're deceiving us into in, you know they're deliberately sabotaging the government so that we run to them. You know, I mean, it's just like I, I don't have a, a handle on all of these issues, but that's just like kind of you know, there's a lot of things going on. And, you know, MMT is basically just what I grasp onto because I understand that. And that's like a, 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 a map to show how we can get from here to there. It, is, it shows that hope is possible, but that doesn't make it likely because we still have to choose it. Like I, I'm complete idealist. I'm a complete idealist of what's possible. All of these things are possible and they're not just possible. They would make the world infinitely better to give people healthcare, a job and uh, education and to deep unpoisoned water and to a green new deal on uh, every, all of these things. They're, obviously they're not just possible. They're desperately needed. And I'm completely on board with this is possible. Completely an idealist about that. I am a dark pessimist that we are going to choose it. That, that, those in power are going to choose it. And, you know, unfortunately those not in power are pretty thoroughly deceived. And so, you know, we, we got a long way to gathering people into overcoming that, that pessimism and that greed and that expectation for greed. And, and I, do we have enough time left? I don't know.
but what else is there? There's no alternative. Speechless. Because I'm convincing or just said too much or what? Um, on one hand, it seems simple. And on the other hand, it seems infinitely complicated. Complicated in what sense? What what specifically? All the state the state of the world you're addressing, oh. you know. Um, and I'm just imagining that President Epstein prints that. Would you call it a quadrillion dollar coin? Mint a quadrillion or octillion doesn't matter. A ridiculous size coin. Um, yeah. Yes. And I mean, you realize that's not, that doesn't mean that we can suddenly spend a quadrillion dollars. That's not what it does. That has nothing to do with it. It's just a, it's just permission for Congress to spend without debt scaremongering. Mm -hmm. That coin doesn't go into the economy. It simply, it stays in the treasury and it's permission to the avoidance of having to create debt. So when Congress spends, chooses, uh, what do you call it? Allocate is not the right term, but that's, I can't think of the right term right now. Appropriates. Yes. Appropriates X. They can no longer say that's going to increase our debt. No, it won't because the coin prevents that. Right. So it would chop off if it's 5 trillion in spending from Congress appropriates 5 trillion, that would just chop off 5 trillion from the value of the coin. So we would have a quadrillion minus 5 trillion plenty left over so it would not accumulate debt so that would that would simply avoids the debt scaremongering so it allows congress to spend and they would no longer be able to say this is going to balloon the national deficit it's just a gimmick that's all it is it's a gimmick to overcome an even bigger gimmick but it prevents real world suffering so it's important so what do you want me and the people who are listening to do as a result of this conversation? What are your thoughts on – are you convinced in or of part of, of – of, what are your thoughts of MMT? Does it feel convincing generally speaking or at least major parts of it or whatever? Let me ask you that. I mean I was born in the same system, right? I've lived my whole life thinking scarcity made stuff good. Mm -hmm. So I don't know how to give that up at the end of an hour long podcast, but I'm going to think about it. What does it mean to give it? How, what, what, well, what does I mean, that entail to give it up? It's, it's a mindset. It's well, practically uh, speaking, give yeah. an example of, of what that would mean. Is there any fear of giving millions and millions of people, tens of millions of people, healthcare would harm you? No. Not financially speaking. Would you think that now? Um, well, I mean, I have some. I, yeah, I, I think it's more complicated than we're talking about here. I mean, I think 
I think, I think you have to experiment and maybe the experiments have been done and I haven't seen them. Experiment in what sense? Of trying to give healthcare to some, like a test pilot kind of a thing? Um, well, so look, I spent 30 years as an editor at Men's Health, right? I know how badly people take care of their bodies. Okay. When you give them healthcare, are they going to take even worse care of their bodies or are they going to take better care of their bodies? Because uh, if uh, they're going to take worse care of their bodies, what did we accomplish? Uh, that sends the wrong... Well, I, I'm, I'm telling you... you okay, know. that's fine. But I'm telling you that that's like if we give poor people money, will they spend it on drugs? That's pretty horrible. Um, no, I think it's a very different conversation. Okay, okay. Um, because one's a... I think it's a very different conversation. I I would like to believe that if everybody had health care, people might take better care of their health. And I think that's an, I think personal responsibility is important because I think willpower and, and if everybody can have everything they want, then everyone, there's I have to care about my fellow man. I hope you're not comparing. I hope you're not comparing healthcare to every, you know, to luxury, basically everything. No, 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 I'm not, not, but I am, but I do think that if we collectively are providing everyone with healthcare, it would be great if everybody said, well, since everybody's helping me with my healthcare and I'm helping everybody with their healthcare, I would like to take the best possible care of my health so that, so that, so that it's less of a burden on everybody. How are you it helping? Is, healthcare other- is a scarcity, whether you have all the healthcare you need or not. There's still, you know, as you said early on, there's a scarcity of bandages and nurses and hospital beds. Not necessarily. Who said that? I didn't say that there's a scarcity of bandages or, or health. It doesn't necessarily have to be. Like, yeah. You, you talked about limitations. If there is, if there is, I'm pretty sure that we have the capacity to create more Band-Aids and beds. I'm pretty sure. Over time. Yeah, of course, over time. Of course, we can't instantaneously make them come, you know, peer into existence, but we have the capacity to create it at a pace that is needed to take care of people. And by preventing, we will stop even, you know, enormous problems from happening, Right. So that, again, will relieve pressure off of the healthcare system by preventing before it gets out of control. So even if, even if someone uses it, you know, like you give someone a, a football helmet and so now they do it even harder and they still are hurting themselves. Yeah, the airbag thing. Yeah. So, you know, you kind of, you know, if you give people healthcare, will they take good care of themselves? Even if some people take advantage of it, number one, I would be shocked if it was a statistically significant enough part of the population to make a difference. Uh, whoa, 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 whoa. You do realize what percentage of our population is overweight or obese and how much of not all of it, but how much of that is self-inflicted. Okay. But, but what are the other factors that affect that? There could be a million things, what our society is and how the pressure it puts on people. So what are the causes of that? And we, that, that, that goes a level deeper that we have to figure that out. I mean, it's not just as simple as saying, you know, people, you know, people smoke. Why do they smoke? 
what would they do if they were given what they desperately needed? How many would not smoke? If people had access to good food, how many would be obese? You know, it's hard. It's hard to say that. It is. It is. They are very complicated topics. I, yeah. I agree with you. Smoking is an easier one to talk about than food, though, because we all have to eat. And if you live in a food desert, it may be that unhealthy food is the only food you have reasonable access to. Right. But uh, but, but, but smoking, my- that's a completely voluntary activity that is well known the dangers of, and yet still people smoke. So it's, it just proves the point that there's going to be some statistical number of people who are going to not take care of themselves. I don't, I don't know what the statistics are, but I think, I think there is a new generation of smokers, which should terrify us all because we should be smarter than that. You realize 60% of the population is overweight or obese. That's not insignificant. Okay, but that's in our current context. But 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 my let me let me try and make my point. My point is even if some abuse it and don't take care of themselves because they get health care, do we punish them because they might not no no no. Do we hold everyone who doesn't <laughs> take advantage of themselves hostage because some might abuse the system. And I think that the answer is clearly that no. Right. So, but I think you you want a system that accounts for that. Sure. And anticipates that and, and, and has enforcement. And I, I agree that that's an issue that needs to be dealt with, but that doesn't change the fact that there are people that are desperate for healthcare and we need to give it to them right now. And if some people, it's a, you know, this is actually a very good example to uh, an analogy of that. Pay for, uh, can, uh, cancel student debt or, or pay for college or, or any universal program of, or no, uh, actually COVID, COVID checks, COVID checks. Oh, we want to give COVID checks to everybody because, you know, people are desperate, but we don't want to give it to Donald Trump and his kids. Okay. So now we're doing means testing which means we're holding everybody who's desperate for it hostage. If you want to have petty revenge against rich people, then yes, let's means well, test. I, I'm, I'm, I'm not advocating for petty, petty revenge against anybody. <laughs> I, I, you're, not, you're not advocating for that. I'm using this as an example. What we can do is give everybody $2,000 checks a month. We, we could give everybody a $2,000 check a month during the pandemic. And then we can tax it back later from those who don't need it. So if a rich person gets something that they don't need, we can tax it back. Well, you know, it would be a better model. Well, hold on, hold on. Remember your better model. I just want to finish this point. We can give people what they desperately need right now and deal with those who might not deserve it later by get by by clawing it back or doing whatever we feel is appropriate. And in the same way, we can do that with what you were saying about will people take care of themselves? Maybe they won't, and maybe something needs to be done, but we can handle that part of it later. Meanwhile, well, let's give people health care that desperately right. need it now. Two things I want to say. Sure. One is when I brought up health care and will people take care of themselves, I, I didn't mean that in any way to be a moral judgment. I'm more concerned about it's it's the airbag thing. I mean, I think everybody's heard the thing about how people with airbags in their cars 
not all people, but some people drive less safe because they Mm -hmm. feel more safe. Mm -hmm. It's that somehow you have to deal with that part of human. I'm talking about human nature, Mm -hmm. unconscious, not conscious. Mm -hmm. I don't have to worry about my health because I have health care. I would rather have people be conscious about, I have health care. What a blessing. And I take better care of my health. Unconscious, not, not judgmental. All right. So the better model in terms of giving everyone the $2,000 and and I think they're aligned, although I'm not sure I can create the linkage myself is give everybody the $2,000, but also have a system in place where I don't need my $2,000 so I can give it to someone else or an organization. So I get to choose who gets to use my $2,000 because I deem I don't need it. I mean, I have a lot of friends who did exactly that, but had it been institutionalized, I think lots more people would did it. I know a lot of people, myself included, who said, you know what? I know someone who needs this money more than I do. I'm going to give it to them. I don't have any problem with something like that. I don't know if I particularly like that that particular thing, but the idea of what you, the overall idea of what you're saying of of having some on one side having some restrictions uh, or some requirements of you have to have some minimal taking care of yourself or whatever. Well, it's education. And on and on the other side of allowing them to pass on what they don't need through education and whatever other steps. I, I don't have a problem with that. My only concern. My only concern, my primary concern is to stop the bleeding in the streets. Mm-hmm. Yes, there are complications. People take advantage. People unconsciously do the wrong thing. Whatever, whatever the issue is, there are complications. There are always going to be complications. But that doesn't change the fact that people are bleeding in the streets and let's stop the bleeding. We can deal with these other problems in some creative ways like you, you know, some of what you alluded to later. I don't disagree with that. And I think we have a, and this may be far afield from a conversation about MMT, but unfortunately we have a political system where you can't make mistakes. So it would be much wiser to create the kind of policies you're advocating for and have leaders say, we know there's going to be problems and we'll address them later. But in our current political system, the problems are the death of you. So you have to pretend they don't exist or not do the program at all. Cause there might be pro- problems instead well, of just saying, we know there's going to be problems. We're going to take care of it. Let's just acknowledge the problems up front. That that's what, it, I mean, MMT makes it clear that money has nothing to do with any of this mm-hmm. in, a, in the national context. It's all politics. It's all politics. Money is just that tool. It's just the hammer that, what we do with that hammer and what the goal is of building houses for people or whatever it is, fixing things, that's what we should be talking about. And so, you know, this is veered very much into, I'll say politics, it's not exactly the right term, but, you know, this is veered in away from MMT proper and into politics. But that's kind of the point. That's kind of the point because MMT to me shows Money doesn't matter. I mean, it's important. It's an important tool. It's an important part of the process, but it's not what we should be focusing on. 
we should be focusing on the goal because if the goal is achievable, then so this, the money. Funny, because this is this is me talking about the guy throwing the portfolio in the middle of the table. That's exactly what he did. He made that room full of venture capitalists imagine a world where the goal was possible. Right, and and we all focus on the, 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 the money, right? <laughs> the, and, the money and the politics and our greed and our fears incentivize us to believe those myths and also those who ha are comfortable are afraid that providing for who are desperate is going to kill them because of partially because of the taxpayer myth mm -hmm. that i will be you know there's a million people that are desperate and therefore i have to pay for a million people with my taxes and I'm barely making it by. I only make a hundred thousand dollars a year. I'm struggling. I'm not a millionaire. You know, it's every single level is like that. Every single level. Mm -hmm. It's protecting privilege and which they're forced to do. You know, I kind of in a way I have sympathy for that because it is scarcity. It is the propagandized as scarcity. And therefore they have to protect themselves. They are barely getting by, you know in, in their point of view, they're barely getting by. And, but soon enough, they're going to be part of the bottom in their McMansions. That's where we are right now. So I, I kind of lost track, but we can do whatever is physically possible to do. And the scientists say that we could do a Green New Deal. The medical profession says that we can do healthcare for all. The, you know, we have the ability, the physical real world ability to do these things. And therefore the tools are sitting and ready and waiting, which in the national context is money. It's ready and waiting to go. We can choose to build a building. We can choose to build a, a shack that's crap. And the hammer is ready and waiting for either of those things. And we could choose to not build at all. And the hammer's still there waiting for us. And that's all that money is is just a tool to do whatever we want to do. And so the politics is what matters. That's the battle. So, Well, I mean, you see that in what's happening in Congress right now. Do we do infrastructure or we don't do infrastructure? You know, how do you pay for infrastructure? But we've got to have infrastructure. I mean, it's, 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 but it's all more of the same. Yes. Yeah. I, I yeah. Anyway. Um, so, yeah, I mean, this, this has been, Wow, this has been much wider ranging than I, you know, obviously I was just expecting talking about MMT, but you seem to be, I mean, not on board. I mean, obviously you can't be convinced in an hour or whatever, but I mean, we, we, we haven't really lingered on that too much. So it seems at least that to, from your point of view, that, that, that the theory is worthy of consideration. It's worthy. It's a worthy thing to, you know. I mean, you're not you're not just totally like this is bogus, this is nonsense. So therefore, we kind of got beyond that phase, and now we're talking about what really is possible and why, and so on. So I, I think that 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 has to be true, right? Yeah. You're, yeah. You're, and I mean, frankly, the what's really possible is far more interesting to me than the than the the map, as you call it. You know, because I don't I don't know that you have to understand the map to understand that you don't have to 
you don't have to label it something that might be scary to get people enthusiastic for the, the goals. I, I think COVID in particular has been very, I think it's opened people's eyes to what is possible. You know, COVID created for some period of time, something like a universal basic income, right? I mean, there was Andrew Yang rallying for it. He got dumped out of the presidential election, but the next thing you know, everybody's getting a check. Right. But you know what? You could look at it and go, oh, it could kind of work like that. That was kind of a test. This is kind of what it, it, it took the world. It took the U S much closer to the reality than it had ever been before. And, but the same thing is true for healthcare, right? I mean, all of a sudden, everybody had healthcare worries and you don't go pay for the vaccine. If you want the vaccine, I mean, we can have a whole other conversation about if you don't want the vaccine, uh, and, but you know, you just go get the vaccine. Doesn't matter how rich or poor you are. You just walk in and get a shot. But, but my point is there was a little slice of universal healthcare. It's not perfect. It's not, it's not what it needs to be, but it was a slice of it. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the, there's a chip, there's a crack in the wall. The, you know, now anybody who has an internet connection can go get masks for free, right? Mm-hmm. Just sign up. How many people sent you the link to the, to the mask thing? Well, maybe it's, te- it's tests, not masks. I'm sorry, tests. You're right. Okay. Yeah, that's what I was talking about. The test. But my point is, what amazed me about COVID is that all these radical ideas, not all, many of the radical ideas that were discussed during the 26, 26, 2020 presidential elect campaign, COVID forced us to give it a try. And, and I haven't thought about this in a while. There's other examples, but I can't think of what they are. But, you know, like Andrew Yang, they're talking about UBI, and then all of a sudden, everybody gets a check. And again, you say it's not UBI, but it's it's a flavor of UBI. It, it's the the only critical difference is that UBI is in good times and bad times. Yes, this yes. was particularly in particularly bad times because there was a desperate need for something. Right, but, but it still shows that 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 kind of thing is possible. Sure. Yes, that's my point. That's my point. And so I, I think when you, I'm saying the same thing over and over again. I think when you focus on the possibility and you have people see the benefit of changing the system when it comes to housing, well, you know, with housing, what did we see? There was, you couldn't get evicted, right? We saw all kinds of programs that I think are aligned with the ultimate goals of what you're saying, housing, um, healthcare, and and I think when people understand that it's a benefit to all, that all do well, they don't care what you call it once they understand that they're better off too. That makes sense, I guess. Phew. Are we done now? <laughs> <laughs> I think it's my cue. <laughs> um, I don't know. Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess so. It's this is was was very different than I expected, which is you know that's totally fine. 
So, you know, I, I'm going to add one thing and you can look this up to make sure I'm accurate. But there was a, one or maybe more than one study done about Obamacare. And what the study or study showed was that when they went and talked to people about the idea of Obamacare, a huge majority of people were in favor of it. When they gave it a name, the name happened to be Obamacare. Same explanation, same program, same benefits. A huge number of people were opposed to it because they didn't like the name. Of course. And, and, and that's part of what I'm saying here is don't let the name scare people away from what they actually want. It's name meaning NNT? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's hard to conceive with healthcare. Why would anybody, unless you're of a certain level of wealth, why would anybody be opposed to everybody having health care? Because everybody needs health care. You know, I mean, I have a classic story of I hurt my back one year on Thanksgiving bad enough that I needed to go in an ambulance to the hospital. And I was screaming. I was with my family and I was screaming, I can't go in an ambulance until January <laughs> because of my deductible. <laughs> what kind of health care system is that? Yeah, I, I had to pay $3,000 for my son having a seizure and they did something extra or whatever in an ambulance, I mean. Yeah. I mean, I I knew what it cost to go in an ambulance. I've been in one once. Mm -hmm. I know I can't afford it. Mm -hmm. kind of Until January. I can afford it in January. So if I can just lay here in severe pain, screaming between Thanksgiving and January, it'll all be good. Because mm -hmm. at least then it'll go against my deductible. That, that's that. Who, who can support a system like that? People who have been deceived. Yeah. People who have been deceived. And that's why if you position it as you're going to get health care, people loved it. But when you called it a name and maybe it was associated with a person they didn't like, they didn't like it at all. It was the same thing. Yeah. I mean, the point is not to talk about the letters. It's just the concepts of what it shows. Right. You and know, it, because label, it's all, it's all the whole concept of labels. Yes. That's what you're, that's where you're going. People change the meanings of labels to whatever they want it to mean. Capitalism, inflation, uh, Obamacare, MMT. I mean, it, it, these have definitive meanings. Yes. But people change those meanings to whatever they want and, and other, and the media and whoever propagandize these terms to what, to like critical race theory. Critical race theory is a real theory. It's an important theory, but it has been twisted as a tool so that to get right-wing voters using it to scare right-wing voters into the voting booth to get in people who are basically racist. <laughs> I mean, you know, so it's just the concept of using labels of just avoid labels, just, just be practical and immediate and personal. So can I leave you with a thought? Go for it. What we as a culture have become exceptionally good at is spinning things. We're brilliant at the message. You were just talking about that relative to, to um, critical race theory, right? I mean, everything gets spun as a message to, to, to manipulate a group of people. 
Mm-hmm. And that's just, that's years and years of, of sophistication, of language, of messaging, of advertising, of marketing. And, and advertising and marketing are a science. It's a science. I mean, there's art too, but there's a lot of science to it. And if you want to successfully get people to support what's in their best interest to support healthcare and housing and clean water and all the things we're talking about, the science of messaging is there. The most important thing is just to harness the science of the messaging so that as clearly as possible, people actually get to consider what is possible and available as opposed to it being a clouded, muddy conversation that jerks their chain and pushes their buttons and they never have a clear idea of what they're actually talking about because they're manipulated by so many other forces. Mm. I hate to say it, but this battle that you're fighting will be won by messaging and manipulating people long enough that they can actually think about what's possible because there's a million forces in their lives every day telling them that it's not possible. That's a battle. And we should also be choosing the right audience, not wasting our time on people who are, you know, well, now who's, basically. now who's judgmental <laughs> people, people, there are people that are clearly well, closed minded and we shouldn't waste our time. We should waste our time. We should spend our time on people who are possible that, that it is possible to convince to that. We'll sit down a whole other, that's a whole other conversation, but obviously convincing people who are closer to being convinced is a good thing. Any salesperson can tell you that. And every teacher has, and every teacher can reach different student and students and every student requires different teachers. So that's kind of just my way of saying it. I'm not going to waste my time on someone that immediately comes at me with, you know, you call me or whatever, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Except that, that person probably liked the idea of universal healthcare until it had the name Obamacare on it. Uh, okay. Fair too. Yeah. That's fair too. So, anyway, I, I think I, I, you may have more to say, but I, I think I'm pretty spent. <laughs> no, no, I don't. I don't. I, my, everything I had to say was in that article and everything else was, was unexpected and which is good. So, um, no, thank you for doing this. I, I, I appreciate you doing this, especially knowing that this is not the first time. So, um, I, I like how this went. I, I don't know what it's, you know, obviously there's some editing in front of me, but, but this is, this is a good thing. So. Okay. Thank you, Greg. Yeah. Thank you for asking me to do it. <laughs> um, Mind thing. thank you for answering the email where I asked you. Um, <laughs> no, no, thank you. Thank you. No. And you know, just thanks for everything. And, and, you know, I've known you for quite a while. You've been very supportive. So we will, talk as we usually do. Thanks for, thanks for doing this. It's great to be here. Music for this show is by Rectech. You can find Rectech on SoundCloud and Spotify at W-R-E-C-K underscore T-E-C-H. To record Activist MMT, I use the iOS phone app T-1000.
Tapacall Plus for recording phone calls and Zencaster for internet-based recordings. My post-production workflow starts by editing on the iOS app AnyTune Pro Plus, then transferring those timestamps to my Windows desktop. At that point, I crudely process the audio in Audacity and then implement the edits and do all of the final processing in the Reaper digital audio workstation. Activist MMT is hosted by Libsyn and the video teasers are created with the online Headliner app. Today's part two of my two-part conversation with Greg Stebbin. In part one, I gave Greg a broad introduction to MMT, its basic policy implications, and some of the major myths it shatters. Today in part two, we branch out to a wide-ranging conversation about the state of the world and how MMT does and does not relate to it. But for now, let's get right back to my conversation with Greg Stebbin. Enjoy.